Welcome to episode 11 of On the Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On the Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Today's guest has worked for more than a decade to create and preserve affordable housing in Massachusetts. Currently, she's the Director of Public Policy at Citizens Housing and Planning Association. Previously, she served as Chief of Staff and Housing Policy Director for former State Senator Susan Tucker and as Senior Policy Advocate at Homes for Families. Most recently, she was a Director of Public Policy at the Alliance for Business Leadership, a nonpartisan alliance of CEOs, executives, entrepreneurs, and investors working to promote long-term economic growth and prosperity for all. Please join me in welcoming Rachel Heller. Rachel, I appreciate you speaking with me from your office in Boston. Thank you for having me. So I just want to just jump right in. I know my audience will be curious to hear a little bit more about you and your day-to-day, but this is a podcast about leadership and building great networks. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you, and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? I think leadership is bringing people together to solve problems. Mm -hmm. There's no shortage of problems that we face, and I don't think any one person can solve them on their own. And um, so from my experience, it's really been bringing people together to tap into the best ideas and and chart a course forward together to to a solution. Mm -hmm. As far as when I realized I could be. Yeah. Not sure. Maybe when I was a toddler and I would ask my mom for something, <laughs> she didn't give it to me. I think any you know people all have the ability to lead. Um, it's just it comes out at different points in your life, and uh, you know I think I tried to do a lot of things as a kid, and it really um, I think my leadership skills really got developed a lot more in college when I was working with the public interest research groups and we were doing organizing around all of these really important environmental issues and good government issues. And it gave me the opportunity to learn how to bring people together, learn how to run meetings, learn how to organize campaigns. So I think that was really probably the the formal um, training that helped me realize some of my skills and helped develop them. Yeah, I mean, I had a similar experience. I, I did so much in college that uh, it was sort of like a second degree working with the PERGS, mm-hmm. working with yes. all the different kinds of organizations and, and getting a lot of hands-on experience uh, while while taking the classroom information as well. I definitely, Absolutely. you know, I, I agree nothing gets solved by any one person and, and uh, having an opportunity and the ability to bring people together. It's definitely, that's definitely a piece of leadership. Do you... Um, in what ways is that coming up for you these days in the work that you're doing? I know you've you've taken on leadership roles in so many different organizations in the work that you're doing. Bringing people together really is the core of everything I do. Um, certainly every job that I've had since college, every issue that I work on. I start from the place of just recognizing that I don't have all of the answers myself. So whether I'm working on homelessness issues or trying to increase the budget for rental subsidies in the state, figuring out ways to overcome barriers to building housing in communities, 
everything I do involves bringing together different people from different backgrounds to figure it out and get it done. Yeah. What do you find most rewarding about the work that you're doing right now? I find it really rewarding when several groups can come together, especially when it's across sectors and start working together. A good example is the work that I'm doing right now with the On Solid Ground Coalition. And this coalition started out of a couple of homelessness organizations, um, my group included. We're not, we don't, don't, we're not homelessness focused, but it's something that we work on. And we were all just looking at how much we had increased housing resources and homelessness prevention resources over the years, and yet homelessness was increasing and increasing. And it made us think, why are, no matter what we do, is the problem getting worse? And we realized that housing alone wasn't going to solve the problem of homelessness. It's really the the core and it's the foundation. Uh, Everybody needs a home before they can do well in school, go to work, all the things that really help people um, thrive in society. But housing alone wouldn't solve it. And so we got out of our own silos and started reaching out to our friends who are working in education and health and work force development. And we realized that others were feeling the same way. So we've all joined together. We put out a paper together and continue to develop advocacy agendas together. And it's really challenging work. We all speak different languages. We all work on different priorities, but everybody is invested in solving the problem and we're figuring out how to get there together. And it's incredibly rewarding to see the report released to see the coalition continue to grow, uh, to have some traction with policymakers. It's just incredibly rewarding every, every time we meet, every time we do something. Um, mm-hmm. it just, it's been really wonderful. How many years have you been working on this coalition? It's only about a year, a little more than yeah. a year old. So the growing <laughs> pains are still there. I mean, this is, uh, oh, yes. you just described something that I think most people would see as a, not just a challenge, but just daunting the idea of bringing together all these very siloed organizations that obviously have a a common vision of justice and equity and now to bring them in and and the different conversations the different language around it and different approaches and strategies um, it's very impressive to be able to engage people in that way and I think that's that's definitely a sign of leadership is is bringing people together from different walks of life from different modalities and just saying like, okay, we want to work together. We have to find a way to solve this. This is not going to be happening. You know, any individual organization. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. It's definitely, we are definitely going through growing pains, but it's been really great just to see the passion and commitment from everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think it goes back to what you were saying. Everybody's committed to these issues. We do want to make progress. Nobody wants to continue to work on a problem that gets worse and worse. We, we want it solved. We want people to live healthier lives and, um, and more secure, be more secure. And so that's really keeping us all together at the table, figuring it out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we talked a little bit about this kind of challenge, but thinking about all the work you've done, not just here, but elsewhere, you know, I think one thing about wanting to be successful in the work that you're doing, you want to, uh, to feel like you're, you're making progress, but sometimes it mm-hmm. is really challenging. How do you overcome those moments when you're just feeling like, oh, I don't know how to do this and that the, the challenge is a real roadblock? Something that really inspires me is or are the stories of people. 
And whenever things get really hard, I just think about all of the people who are struggling so hard every day just to get through the day-to-day without necessarily having a roof over their head, a permanent roof over their head, struggling to eat and feed their children. And it makes me realize that the challenges I'm facing are a lot smaller than <laughs> they had appeared when I, when I put it into perspective. And yeah. so even though it can be really incredibly challenging, change is slow, um, I just keep thinking about the people who really struggle and need, need solutions. And I always want to involve the people who are experiencing the problem in our work. One, because I think that the people who are experiencing it know the solutions better than anyone else. And uh, two, it just reminds us how important this work is every day when we partner with people who are actually experiencing homelessness or have experienced homelessness or worried about their housing stability. Yeah, so the idea of uh, both working with, because that's good organizing, but also, like you said, it just, it is a really good reminder. I mean, this, uh, I think a lot of people who are working on social justice issues face uh, the fear of burnout and we've all we've all had those moments of of just utter exhaustion. And when you remember why you're doing it, and you realize there are people who are really counting on you, this work suddenly you know gets re-energized. Uh, but you know there is that fear. I think as we're doing this work of of being wrong, of of you know failing, making mistakes. Could you share a little bit about something you're not very good at, and you know how do you deal with that? Uh, I see myself as a work in progress on just about every skill, <laughs> but <laughs> one one thing that I'm really, really bad at that I must improve is using social media, which is so critical to organizing, advocacy, lobbying. It is the way that people communicate, and I am just not very good at it, and uh, so it's something that I need to get better at. And I just sent out a tweet over the weekend, but I was, you know, it was my, my first one. So I was a, a little bird alone out there. <laughs> I need to do more to build up my social network and, and just start speaking more. Yeah. It's amazing. These tools that we have in the world can, can do so much good and, uh, and can get messages out and raise support and dollars and interest um, and educate people, but you do have to be savvy because otherwise you kind of do feel like you're speaking into an empty room, which maybe that first tweet was a little bit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but um, but you should prove. follow me. Like I would be happy to see what you're doing and vice versa. So, Absolutely. you know, tag for me now, at Robbie oh, Samuels. I just kind of, for now, I farm it out and I have a lot of people who I work with do all the tweeting, but that's not enough. I need to be engaged in this form of communication a lot more than I am now. That seems like another piece of leadership, though, is knowing what you're not good at and thinking about how you can fill those gaps with other people on your team who do thrive in those situations. So there's probably some other aspects of the work that you're like, you know, you just know how to do and you're very, very comfortable with. And like, for instance, this coalition building, which takes so much patience and other people you know, look to you to do that. And they're, they're kind of focusing on the, t- the tweeting. So that's true. I would, I would form a coalition before sending a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually really remarkable. I, uh, now you're just underscoring why I wanted to have you on here because I don't know many people who would say that. So, you know, cause armchair activism is a big fan. I mean, people love to just sit at home and like sign online petitions and tweet and you're like in there, you know, with people engaging and, and that's, 
that to me is a, a shows a lot of leadership skills to stay in doing that. I imagine though that all this work takes a lot of time, dedication. It has an impact in the way it impacts your work life and your home life outside the office. So thinking about that, with that in mind, what does self-care look like or where does downtime for you? That's a really tough question. Uh, I would say self-care involves time with my son and my husband without any technology. It's very rare to get it, uh, but it's something that I strive for. For um, self-care is also going for a run every day, every other day, whenever I can squeeze it in or getting together with friends, um, occasionally doing some yoga and trying to relax. But uh, it is difficult to not work all the time or not always, especially with, uh, you know, the devices we have now where it's just so easy to always be plugged in and answer things and respond and have something cross your mind in the middle of dinner and be able to automatically go and email a bunch of people about it. So it's, it's really hard to, uh, to separate work from life. And uh, the interesting thing I think uh, that's happened with, with my family is my son at three and a half is incredibly socially aware and is talking about issues like homelessness and, um, equity and fairness and I'm proud that he's talking about these things but I also worry about the stress that that could put on him at such a young age as well interesting yeah how to you know raise a socially conscious child but still have them have a childhood um childhood often is innocence and and you can't have innocence with that awareness it's really quite an interesting balance it is very difficult yeah (laughs) so far he's taking it in stride (laughs) Yeah, kids are very adoptable. They really are. They don't lose that for a while. So, so it's great that yeah. you're able to, you know, invest that energy in him. And uh, and it sounds like you've been trying to incorporate different kinds of uh, habits. You know, good good life habits. Is there one in particular you've been struggling to adopt into your life? In terms of like just like cutting out technology balance. or something. Yeah. Um, I, that would be the one for, for me, I think, just being able to completely unplug for wow. a while and have that break, let your brain refresh, see the you know colors of the leaves, <laughs> see the sunshine, uh, not just always be looking down at my phone. Uh, and so I've made a commitment to my son that after I pick him up from school, I'm not looking at my cell phone. It's our time and we're going to play together and eat together and talk together. Uh, rather than being having this other party that's kind of always there with us. Wow, that's really great. I I want to kind of underscore that for all the parents listening because what a great commitment you've now made. And your son's three and a half, as you said, sort of very self aware, socially aware, and so you're giving him your full attention in those hours after school, um, which I, I is a gift because it is a struggle to separate from the twenty four seven of this technology, which I think. Every leader is trying to stay plugged in, but is also, you know, needs to find that balance um, just just for their own sake, their own self. And like the and I've, I've read things about our brain not being able to be as good at um, dreaming and, and just, you know, thinking creatively because we're always, you know, reading something on a screen. So, oh, it's so sad. <laughs> yeah, it's There's not so it's hard to be more innovative. 
<laughs> I mean, there's so much good that comes out of being able to know what's going on and read, but that is, we, we can't lose that creativity and, and letting your minds wander and think. So can you share a little bit more about how you've seen yourself show leadership in the workplace and, and or who are the people that you really have sort of admired as sort of a North Star of how you'd like to be? Oh, there's so many people who I admire. I've had the privilege of working under some really incredible people. Uh, someone who was just amazing to work for was uh, Sue Tucker, state senator. She was just someone who, or she is someone who is just so passionate and knew how to get things done. And it was something that I really loved. Uh, I loved working with her. She was also great at developing a team around her and really trusting her team. And so it's something that I try to take with me in any role that I take on and really really trusting the people around me, not trying to micromanage, um, you know, working with people to have a shared goal and then letting people do things the way that they need to get them done. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's something that I admired with her and, and other, other great people that I've worked with and all the people around me. I just, working in the nonprofit sector, I'm just surrounded by so many people that are amazing, that are passionate, and it makes me really enjoy doing my work every day. I don't think there's ever been a day where I wasn't excited about working. There's days where I've been worried or nervous that an event wasn't going to go well or mm -hmm. testimony wasn't going to be perfect, but it's always exciting. And I think it's because all of the amazing people that I interact with every day and, and see how hard they're working. So you've been in the nonprofit sector for over 10 years in Boston. So you and, you know, changing jobs along the way. Have you been keeping up with colleagues? Do you have a way of, of nurturing those relationships? Absolutely. I still talk with all of the same people I think I've been working with since I moved to Boston in 1999. Uh, some people I, I don't talk to as much anymore, but I really consider everybody that I've worked with part of my network. And um, it was funny, even though I left housing for a while to go work with the Alliance for Business Leadership, which is a great organization. I had so much fun working for them on a lot of different issues. When I came back to work on housing, people just kind of assumed that I hadn't lost any knowledge and that I knew everything that was happening on housing on day one. And I have to remind people I've been gone for a few years. I, I don't know the latest, but hmm. it was nice because I'd, I'd been talking to these people the, the whole time. And I hadn't really lost connections. Uh, so although I'd been out of the loop on the latest programs or funding, it was really easy to get back in because I still had all those connections. I had people I could check in with, um, people I was still close to. And, and um, so I really try to keep everybody close. Uh, you know, you can't stay very, very close with everyone and talk to everyone every day, but I, I really try to keep in touch with people. I still have lunch or, or get together with people that I've worked with for years. Do you have any strategies for how you how you think through keeping track of people? Is it more happenstance or do you sort of have a goal each month of certain people you want to reach out to or a number of people? It's a little bit of happenstance and something that I really enjoy. Uh, I, I like the people that I've worked with so much that I'm always excited for an opportunity to reconnect with them. Um, I should be more thoughtful about it. I always think about how um, if I see that an event went well that a friend of mine or a connection you know, has had or somebody's published in the paper, I always 
think, please remember to email them and let them know that was really great what they did. And I yeah. don't always do that. And it's something that I, I want to be more intentional about. It's nice to recognize all of the great things that people are doing and, and stay connected with them. So for now, it's a little bit of happenstance and, uh, and just enjoying reconnecting with people. I really liked what you just said, though, about um, keeping an eye out for those opportunities, just to send a quick note. Um, I reached a point of busy where I couldn't go to all the events that I knew about. Uh, and that actually happened a number of years ago. And I mean, I used to go to two or three events a night and I just reached a point where I was like, I can't keep doing this. So I would keep track of certain events that were coming up, even if I couldn't go. And about an hour before I would send a text um, or a tweet or a Facebook message to the person running it, just saying like, I'm really sorry, I can't make it tonight. You know, I know it's gonna be fantastic. Hopefully we can catch up next week and I'd love to hear about it. And oh, I like that too. Just, you know, it made me feel better for not for missing it, right? Because I, I was right. like, realistically, I can't be everywhere. And they felt remembered and thought of in a moment where they were kind of in that energy, you know, that Stressing nervous out. energy right before an event. <laughs> <laughs> and um, really and nice. some people would take advantage of that as a sort of like reach out and then, re- you know, we would connect a, a week or two later. Um, but most often it was just thanks. You know, that would be a reply. But you know, those little touch points. Um, but yeah, thinking about how to do that on a regular basis. And maybe it's not with everyone. Maybe you just have a, a select group of people that you want to nurture even cl- more closely. Um, and then, you know, the idea of having ongoing lunches. I mean, so you and I first met, <laughs> you probably remember this more than I do. We first met many years ago in the early 2000s um, yeah. when I was in Somerville, because that's where you were working and living as well. And it was really fun because I feel like we've crossed paths through the years, but to walk in, because now we're both members of Lead Boston, um, this year's class, which actually just kind of came to a close. We had spent a year together. So to walk in and realize I knew someone in that group when I thought I wouldn't know anyone, um, it was a really welcomed opportunity to reconnect. I know. that was. I was really excited about that too. It was, it was awesome. Um, yeah. And actually, you're saying that. I don't know why. It made me think about some of the other ways I end up reconnecting with people. And it has to go, it has to do with just not seeing myself as an expert and always being open to other people's ideas. So whenever something new kind of comes at me, and it's amazing how that can happen all the time, even in a field I've been working in for so long. I will reach out to somebody who I may not have talked to in years just because I know that they know a little bit more about that and might be able to point me in the right direction. And so that's another opportunity just to connect with people, reestablish relationships and learn something at the same time. Yeah, nice. I mean, people enjoy sharing their knowledge. They feel like they it's a way to sort of confirm and affirm their their expertise. And that's great. That's great. And I that, enjoy getting the expertise. <laughs> yeah, you, and you benefit. And I'm sure people are doing it to you. They reach out to you to ask those questions. And it's just, it's a good, that's really just good advice just to remember that your network is there to support you. And there are exactly. people who have more experience in certain areas or niches. That's that's really fantastic. What's your experience been like at Lead Boston? That that was quite, if you can just give a little sense of what that was like and what, what your, your takeaways are. Lead Boston has been great. The thing that I've enjoyed the most is the experiential piece of it and really spending time on each uh, issue that we were covering out experiencing it, whether it was going out into a neighborhood of Boston that I didn't really know that well um, or 
getting a tour of Catholic charities or going to uh, the Department of Corrections and seeing what it's like inside of a prison, all of the experiential pieces have really stayed with me. Every single one that I went to, I took something away from that. And it, it really just brings the issues to life uh, so much more than a reading will do. And, and I think I, that's one of the things I really enjoyed about Lead Boston. It was all those things together. It was a reading. It was going out and experiencing what it was we were reading about. And then it was talking about it with each other and learning from people who are working on the issue and were more experts in the issue. And it's tying that all together that really helps these issues stay a part of me. And um, I think I also enjoyed being able to step out from just the housing world uh, and, and learn about all of these other things. Everything intersects, all of these issues, housing, food, income. I mean, all, every, we, we all, you know, we all interact with all these things and everything impacts each other. So it was really good just to experience all the different issues that I don't work on every day. So I've really appreciated all the connections I've had with the people there. I you know, most of which, most of whom I wouldn't have known ahead of time because they're leaders um, and often senior executives in, in sectors beyond the ones I've worked in um, since my main work has been in nonprofit as well. So really fantastic to be sitting in a room with folks from the banking and healthcare you know, and higher ed and just, um, and many of whom are going to be guests on this podcast, actually, since this podcast is a, a leadership commitment that I made to that being part of that class was to launch a podcast about leaders. So that, and thank you for, uh, for agreeing to be part of the leadership this. commitment, I think by organizing the monthly lunches and get togethers, <laughs> I think that was a real sign of leadership too. And I am looking forward to the next one. I will. Yes. Follow. You know, <laughs> that's a good point. I, um, I realized early on, and here was 35 people, and I didn't have a lot of connections with outside of these monthly gatherings. So I did. I, I'm I'm very comfortable convening people. It's something that I feel very naturally gifted to do. And so I started putting it on people's calendars just to meet up for lunch. And there has been a group of us that has met now monthly. And even though the program officially came to a close, those are on our calendars. So uh, it, it, you know, being intentional about making opportunities for people to cross paths again um, so we can stay kind of current with each other. I think that's that's the key when you have these fantastic experiences, particularly when they're so outside what we're used to um, in our day to day and they're not people you're going to run into in, in your in your work. So thank you for for, for kind of looking forward to those lunches because I am as thank well. Thank you for organizing them. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just, you know, a couple other thoughts I wanted to ask you about, which is, if you were kind of giving yourself advice when you first started out in this career, let's say in your, you know, in your mid twenties, what kind of, you know, information is there, is there one thing in particular that you would encourage yourself to do to build a strong and supportive professional network? I guess I would have told myself to really get out there and get out of my comfort zone and try new things. I, I think it's important to both do things that are related to work, but then other things that are totally unrelated to work, whether it's just social or it's a different topic than you work on every day. It just gives you the opportunity to, to meet so many different people. And when meeting people, don't it, I guess I would say enjoy getting to know them. You don't know where it will lead. So it's not that you need to think I need to get so many contacts today. But just go out there, meet people, build a network, 
And um, I think you really do that by getting to know people um, on a personal level. And, uh, you know, it's good to have goals for how many contacts you want to make. But um, sometimes being very goals driven, you might miss developing some relationships with people. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's are important you, to get out there. Are you there more of an extrovert or introvert? Like do you get energy from being around people or from being kind of home? I am both. Aren't, aren't there a group of people that yes, are an introverted extroverts? You're an <laughs> ambivert. That's, yes, yeah. <laughs> very much. Mm-hmm. I love, love being around people. I love talking to people. I love getting to know people. And, and then I also love completely shutting down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I do think that's a skill is figuring out how to use your energy, the limited amount of energy you have, if, if that's the case, um, to make connections and make you know valuable connections where you invest energy in actually talking and connecting people. It's not just collecting business cards. You know, right, it's not exactly. business cards alone do not make a network. <laughs> right. I, I found a business card in my bag from a while ago. I cannot remember where I met this person. And I think, oh, it's so unfortunate. I wish yeah. I had, you know, really developed some connection there, or written something on the back of the card to remind myself. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's important, I think, to not just collect cards. <laughs> Great. So if we were to meet a year from now and you were telling me about what a great year it's been. What accomplishments would we be celebrating? I would be celebrating the On Solid Ground Coalition being fully funded to have a full-time organizer, coordinator, uh, and growing in terms of the different types of organizations that are involved uh, and really getting some depth in some of the areas where we have some involvement now but could use more. Um, It would also mean passing a big housing production bill that I'm working on that is really critical to the Commonwealth providing housing opportunities for people and, and being able to grow our economy. Uh, and it would be the real being able to report back that I did not check my cell phone after dinner between the hours of five and eight every night. That's, <laughs> that's great. That's a good, uh, that's a good goal. And I'm sure that we will help hold you to it now that you've announced Excellent. it in such a public way <laughs> people will be stopping you in the street to make sure that you're not checking your phone well that's great so I, in the show notes i'm going to include your linkedin profile so if folks want to learn more about you and the work that you're doing they can connect with you there is there any other links to the work that you're doing that you'd like me to include sure a link to my organization would be great, great. org, and on the on our website is um, a link to On Solid Ground. That's fantastic. Well, thank you again so much, Rachel, for joining me on this uh, podcast. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Rachel Heller. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. One thing that stood out for me was her intention to put down her cell phone and focus on her son after picking him up from school. She mentioned this when I asked her about what she did for self-care. She said, self-care involves time with my son and my husband without any technology. It's very rare to get it. It's something I strive for. The hold that technology has on us and how increasingly rare it is for us to know how to be alone without being lonely was the subject of Alone Together, a book by MIT professor Sherry Turkle. The author says that the capacity for generative solitude is very important to the creative process. 
I'll put a link to purchase the book in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 11. Another takeaway was how she sought out ways to stay connected with her network by making an effort to send them a note if they were hosting an event or have been published in the paper. Those little gestures are really meaningful. How can you incorporate this into your routine so you're nurturing your network? One idea is to capture your thought in the moment with an app like Google Keep or Evernote. Then, set aside time each week to review your notes and follow through on your intentions. Or, if you know a specific time of the week that they would appreciate a quick word of encouragement from you via text, tweet, or dare I say, a phone call, schedule it in your calendar so you don't forget. If you're like Rachel and want to be sure you're reaching out to the people you've connected with as you progress in your career, you may want to invest in a CRM to help you keep track of who you've been in touch with recently and which contacts are fading. I manage my most important relationships and the ones I hope will become significant using Contactually, a robust CRM perfect for managing my professional network. As an affiliate for Contactually, they are offering my listeners a free 30-day trial. Let me know if you sign up for the free trial and I'll help you get set up for success. Visit contactually.com slash invite slash muse for more details. That's contactually, C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-A-L-L-Y dot com slash invite slash muse, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. For your convenience, I'll add the link to the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 11. Well, we've done it again. We reached the end of another episode. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze. This podcast is still in the first eight weeks when we can try to get into new noteworthy, so I'm especially grateful to all of you who've already subscribed and left a rating review in iTunes. You can find the show in iTunes by visiting itunes.ontheschmooze.com. By subscribing and leaving a rating review on iTunes, you're helping this podcast get discovered by more listeners. Will you subscribe and leave a rating review? Include your Twitter handle in your review so I can give you a shout out. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be talking about my networking event pet peeves, and likely yours too. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.